Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Morning. It's been a while since I've been up here. I think the first Sunday in September. I guess that's what happens when you're not good at this. <laughs> or so they tell me. Why don't we open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to move around a little bit today. And what I want to talk about is spiritual oneness in marriage. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken it out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, how many of you remember the unity candle when you got married? Uh, it's a very interesting thing. The unity candle is a, is a very uh, intense, if you want to take it uh, that way, but it can be very intense a spiritual experience because what you have are the two candles on the side which represent the individual lives of the couple that is about to be married. And when they take those two candles and they light the one in the middle, it is a very strong symbolic way of saying we were once two, but now we are one. And the interesting thing about this is some people, when they have uh, the unity candle ceremony in their wedding. Some people leave the two candles lit because they say, even though we are individuals, we still want that to be seen, but we've become one. And I did a wedding uh, last October and the bride was adamant that we blow out the two candles because she didn't want to be seen as individuals, but as one. Now, one way or the other is not necessarily right, but ultimately what this expresses is God's intent in marriage is oneness. And not just a physical oneness, but a spiritual oneness that makes marriage something totally different from what people would normally expect if they just look at it from a physical manner or sense. Now, I don't know. How many of you had an... You can turn the picture off. How many of you had an an interesting experience uh, with your unity candle? Anybody have something really, really interesting? For instance, uh, one of the weddings that I was doing, the, the couple couldn't light the unity candle. 
they couldn't get it lighted. And I just was like, they're sort of trying to get it lighted, trying to get it lighted. Everything they do, they couldn't get it lighted. It finally did light, but it was, it was a little bit of an, an embarrassing experience because what is everyone thinking? Uh-oh, that's right, man. That candle's not getting united. There's a problem. I believe they're still married today. So, And that was a long time ago. Another interesting experience, uh, my wife and I once went to a wedding and uh, the couple lit the unity candle and uh, was walking away from the altar and the uh, photographer said, stop. I, I didn't get a picture of that. And he asked them in the middle of the ceremony to blow out the unity candle and relight it so that he could take a picture of it. Can you imagine that? St- it's stunning. That was about 20 years ago. I still cannot believe that he did that. Because ultimately, there's something about this unity candle, this oneness that says something very deep and powerful. Now, there, there, are, there are other ways in which you can become one. Can you show that second picture, Jung, for me, please? Two become one. Well, now the thing about that, we know what uh, the back person is. You become a horse as you know what, but n- neither here nor there. Thought I would just share that with you. <clears throat> I, I, I don't understand that. Who wants to be the back end of that period? That just doesn't make sense to me. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Because here's a, as a, as an important part. Again, the, the context is in the midst of creation. And however you look at creation. <clears throat> but the idea here is that man is alone. And everything has been good. But God said, this is not good. So I want to make him, man, a suitable helper. And <clears throat> from his rib comes Eve. God creates Eve. And when Adam sees Eve, he goes, wow. And you can't see that here, but I think really what he's saying is, wow, this is awesome. This is fantastic. A suitable helper, an equal, a partner, someone to help me to carry out the mission of God. There will now be oneness, a oneness with Adam and Eve that is totally different from Adam being by himself. Being one, but yet being alone. And now here, this oneness, this equality, this partnership, this bringing of two people together is intended to bring about a oneness that is absolutely, positively different. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways in which we can be one. For instance, oneness can be achieved without being spiritual. How many of you know someone who doesn't follow Christ, but has an excellent marriage. It happens, right? I've heard sermons where the pastors have said, without Christ, you cannot have a good marriage. It's not true. It's not true. There are a lot of people who don't have Christ and have excellent marriages, think it's the best decision that they've ever made. And I would probably say, based on your relationship, it's true. But when God created Adam and Eve, he didn't intend to just create oneness in the sense of physical oneness, as we often think of it, or even emotional oneness, but spiritual oneness to achieve or accomplish the purposes of God. God's intent in bringing Adam and Eve together was a oneness that was working together as equal partners to accomplish his purpose. So it is possible to physically be one, emotionally be one, philosophically be one, 
But the greater place that God wants to bring marriages to is that place where there is a spiritual oneness, where the two people have come together and are seeking to follow God and fulfill his purposes in their lives. Now, with this in mind, we're going to hop around a little bit, and I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 5. And here we have a couple that attends church. They're a church couple. In some way, shape, or form, they're kind of in, in, in the center of everything, and uh, things are moving in the church. And uh, let's look and see what happens with this couple, Ananias and Sapphira. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. See, what was happening was there were a lot of poor people in Jerusalem. And the rich people in Jerusalem were recognizing, these are my family, brothers and sisters in Christ. They have moved here in a sense because they came for Pentecost. They came to Christ and they're not going back home. And the reason they're not going back home is because God is moving and they want to be a part of that, but they don't have anywhere to live. They might have a a limited amount of food, maybe not even employment. So in our riches, we're going to sell stuff to give to these people so that they can stay here and they can grow spiritually. And in the midst of this, Ananias and Sapphira, wanting to be a part of this, wanting to be a part of the move of God, sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Oneness. Ananias Ananias and Sapphira are one in this. They're one. They're together. They're in full agreement. This is a great idea. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. In other words, God, through the Holy Spirit, speaking to Peter, says, Hey, this guy's lying to you. He says he sold it for $200,000, just in today's income. And all he's doing is giving you one hundred and fifty. dollars And he's trumpeting up and saying, wow, what a great guy I am, my wife and I. We're giving $150,000 to meet the needs of people who have issues in the church. Which, if they had said we're giving $150,000, would have been cool. But they said that they'd actually sold it for that and were actually keeping $50,000 for themselves. They're lying to God. But it gets worse. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. They were one. And the thing that I want us to see is it's good to be one in marriage. It's better to be one than to be divided. 
to argue, ultimately get divorced. It affects you. It affects your spouse. It affects your children, your children's children. Okay, yes, oneness is a good thing. But the Bible wants us to go beyond just being one, but one in Christ. One seeking to fulfill the purposes of God that he has for our family. Oneness is, is crucial. It is, it is major. It is large. It is, even in the church, a sense or a symbol of the marriage relationship between Jesus and his bride, which is the church. And so when we talk about oneness, especially spiritual oneness, what we're saying is this is a big deal. This is huge. This is important. This matters. Your marriage not only affects your life, your children's life, and your children's children's life, but everyone that looks at you and knows that you name the name of Christ to have division and maybe even ultimately in divorce not only says something about your marriage, but about your God. So spiritual oneness is incredibly, massively important for people who named the name of Jesus. Ananias and Sapphira, though naming the name of Jesus, sinned against the Holy Spirit. And God, in an early church, brought judgment. Yes, they were one, but not one in Christ. There are many of us here today, and I would have to say, even in my own marriage, we've gone through seasons where we can be one, but we are not one in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all going to face judgment. I don't want you to be afraid here that in some sense that I'm going to ask you up and I'm going to say, are you one? Grayson Benson, are you one? And you're going to say, yes, we are. And then suddenly, boom, ah, no, you, you both die on us. That's not going to happen. Which is not to say that you're not one. It's just because you're sitting in front. That's why you never sit in front when I speak. That's why Hans isn't here today because he's heard I'm speaking and he always sits in front and I always pick on him. That's not going to happen. It's a, it's a, it's a more, a, a different context in which we live today. But the oneness is just as important. That oneness in Christ, that fulfilling his purposes in our family and our lives, because it is a legacy then that we pass down to our children when we are one in Christ. Because when your children see you and your marriage, they know what to look for in a spouse in the future. Hopefully and most likely. And that then affects not only their marriage, but their children. And if your grandchildren can see your children's marriage, who saw your marriage, you now have a legacy of spiritual oneness that continues to be passed on. This is huge. It means everything in a day, in an age, in a country when marriage is not seen as serious as God wants it to be seen as serious. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. <clears throat> Oneness can be achieved without being spiritual. Ananias and Sapphira are a good example of a, of a team working together that missed the point. But then there's Aquila and Priscilla. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. And we're going to skip around here a little bit. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. 
Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Slip down now to verse 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth, which is where we started out, for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now, the accompaniment here is not just for the sake of being tent makers, but for the sake of ministry. But it goes on. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 19. They arrived at, at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Verses 24 through 26. What are Aquila and Priscilla doing in the meantime? Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. And he taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Here is the opposite couple. They understood oneness. They were one physically, emotionally, theologically, and spiritually. They were involved in ministry together. They were doing what God had asked them to do. So when Paul ministered, they ministered along with him. And they weren't just bystanders. They were actively involved in his ministry. And when Paul went up and moved, they went up and moved. Because here God is moving with this man, and we want to be a part of that. And then when he left and they were on their own, they continued in ministry. So that when a great speaker named Apollos came along and was preaching Christ, but a little bit inadequately, they came along and ministered to him in oneness. It doesn't say only Aquila talked to him, but Priscilla and Aquila sat down with him and showed him the way of God more accurately. This, I believe, is a biblical picture of what God wants our marriages in this church to be like. Husband and wife as partners, even from creation, like Adam and Eve, as partners fulfilling the purpose of God in their lives. Oneness. Being together. Being knit together, heart and mind. Now, that's all beautiful, but it's not the way it always works, right? How many of us have been married over 20 years? Anybody married over 20 years? Just don't be ashamed now. Okay, you're in your late 40s. I understand that I'm in my late 40s. You guys are in your late 40s too, right? So there's a few couples that have been in your 20s. Have you always, and, and you might say yes, because there's probably some, but have you always been madly in love with each other? outrageously, never been mad, never got angry, never had a sense of disagreement. Has that ever happened? How come you're laughing and she's not? (laughs) See, don't sit in front. Yeah, it happens, right? Breaks happen in the midst of oneness. Now, what I'm not trying to tell you today is you have to have the perfect marriage. Because the perfect marriage never has problems. But I've never come across anyone that has had the perfect marriage. We all have issues, okay? Think about this. A man and a woman coming together, there's already a difference, right? Different families, different cultures, 
different environments, different neighborhoods, all kinds of differences that you bring together, even different experiences, and you're bringing it all together and expecting it to mesh. Soulmate or not, it doesn't always mesh. What breaks oneness? A couple things, I think. Living hurried, distracted lives. Run here, run there, run here, run there, run here, run there. It never ends. I don't know about you, but I feel like we are living, our, my family are, is, is living a roller coaster. Up and down and around and over and, and this way and that way. And it's brought to pass that you're doing something Friday and then you do something Friday, or Saturday morning and then Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. And then Sunday we're going to have church and then youth group and then we're going to have uh, people over at night, and then Monday, which is the day off, which gratefully the kids have off tomorrow, but normally everybody runs to school, and we have to do all the errands that we weren't able to do over the weekend. Do you get the picture? Hurry, hurry, hurry. And that distracted living breaks the oneness because you don't have time for one another, which is why we need challenges like the date night, Chicago land, emphasis on the land, because without it, we won't take the time. We just won't take the time to reconnect. Why? Because we just got too much to do. How many of you work all day, come home, play with the kids, and by the time they get to bed by 8, 30, 9 o'clock, you're pooped and have nothing left? A lot of us, right? And we live these hurried, distracted lives, forgetting to reconnect, to strengthen that oneness, and it breaks. Another thing, living hurried different lives. These are the lives where he does his thing and she does her thing. You know, we don't argue, but the reason you don't argue is because you're never together. You're always doing something different. It's like the unity candle. You are those individuals and you're supposed to be one, but you're still living this individual life. Hey, man, I need space. Man, I work hard all week long. I just need to breathe. Hello? We both need to breathe. Living different lives is going to break that oneness that God wants us to have to fulfill his purposes. And I think the most important one is unforgiveness. I don't know where you're at in your marriage, but oneness cannot happen unless there's connection. And connection is broken by a lack of forgiveness, which if doesn't, If not taken care of, leads to bitterness. Bitterness leads to anger and hatred and all the other things that are with it. And misses the ultimate point of what God wants in oneness is that we'd, yes, be physically united, which is an awesome thing. And to be emotionally and philosophically and intellectually and theologically one, but ultimately to be spiritually one, working together as partners, equal partners, to fulfill the purpose of God, because it is not just for us, but our children and our children's children, the legacy that we have, even to those who are around us and watch us live out our marriage. So how do you promote spiritual oneness? Let me just give you two things. Number one, strive to be a blessing to one another. Strive to be a blessing to one another. Here's the idea. I was, I don't know who, I just read this the other day. And it was a guy and he was talking about how when he wakes up in the morning, his first thought is, what can I do 
to bless my wife today. Now, imagine how that might change your marriage. Now, you might be sitting there saying, dude, you don't know my spouse. It drives me crazy. I could give you 57 ways, like Heinz 57 sauce, and tell you how they just drive me crazy. But I wonder, like Adam and Eve realizing that they are partners to be fruitful and to multiply, and Ananias, um, not Anna, uh, Priscilla and Aquila realizing that they are partners in ministry, that they wake up and they say, how can I bless my spouse? How can I help them not just to be a better person, but to be a better follower of Christ? Because when you are together in oneness, there's so much more joy in the home. When there's not oneness, the joy evaporates. Now, I, I like to play sports. And uh, you know that when you play basketball, you have five on five. And the goal of your five guys is to score a basket, right? Um, can you imagine if someone on your team actually starts playing for the other team? How would that affect your team? Quite effectively uh, ruin things, right? Years ago, uh, in my youth group, there was a kid that used to give me a hard time all the time. Not like a hard time, like in a bad way, like he was mean. But, he, you know, he'd always pick on me. And I would pick on him and the little banter that goes back and forth. And, and that kid, in senior year in high school and in college, he played basketball constantly. So when he was a little kid, I used to beat him all the time. You know how it is. I'm like 5'9", and he's like 5'4", so it's not really fair, but I used to beat him. Well, he's playing in college, and when he graduates from college, he comes to our church, and he starts playing basketball with us. And he's trash-talking me. We're on the same team, and he's (laughs) trash-talking me, okay? This doesn't make sense. So you know what happened the next time when he drove for the basket? I fouled him. I mean it. I am totally serious. I fouled him. And I didn't tap him. I hammered him. And I said, don't trash talk me. Now, think about this. What just happened? We missed the point of what it means to be one. If you want to win, you can't have the big guy sitting in the middle blocking your shots. When you think you're open, you know, Derek Rose, when he comes back, Next year, sorry, Bulls fans. You think Joakim Noah's going to slip over and bam? Not in my neighborhood. It's not going to work, right? Take this to your marriage. If you are working against one another, if you are not seeking to bless one another, you're not only not going to be one, You're not going to be one in Christ because you're not going to be fulfilling the purpose that God has for you and your spouse in his kingdom right now. This is huge. But imagine that if you strive, you press in and you push really hard to bless your spouse, even when they won't respond to your blessing. In time... Your mercy and your grace may break their hardness of heart as well. Because your goal is not oneness, but oneness in Christ to fulfill the purposes that he has for you. Strive to be a blessing. Second thing, spend time in the word and prayer together. I would love to tell you that Hannah and I spend hours 
praying and reading the words, singing psalms to one another. And you know that's not true because if you ever heard me sing, you would say, if she could handle your singing, you know you've been blessed. We struggled. When we first got married, we thought, you know what, man, let's have quiet times together. So we would sit down and we would read the Bible and then she would say, okay, you pray. Now, this is how this went. I like to think a little bit before I pray. So I'm there and I'm silent and she's like, um, paraphrase, mind you. Uh, hello, can we pray now? And I'm like, uh, yes, can you wait now? <laughs> you know what I mean? And suddenly, what do you have? Tension. So things changed when we had uh, the kids. So when Hannah got pregnant, only three times, not five. But what we did is we would read a passage of Scripture out loud, and then we just pray. Simple. You don't have to do something super spiritual. You don't have to get something that is some long devotional. And uh, the Lenten devotionals are good. You can use that. Something short and simple that creates that oneness in Christ. Together. Short and simple. And the interesting thing is, is this kind of a, a side story to each one of that. Each one of our kids, based on what we read and prayed, is how they turned out. Very strange. Uh, we, we kind of wish we had Janie so that we could pray calmness into her, but that's not working. <clears throat> so two things I want you to just walk away now with strive to bless your spouse and spend time in the word and prayer together. Grow that oneness. Just do the simple things. It doesn't have to be something intense. It doesn't have to be Greek word studies. It just has to be the two of you being together, seeking God. So what do you do now? <clears throat> In your marriage, you might not have oneness. So uh, what I wanted to suggest is two things, two things that I found in, in the midst of premarital counseling that are, and I'm going to say this, absolutely wonderful and fantastic. So if you're out there right now and you're listening and you're elbowing your spouse and saying, dude, we are not one. Or do that, however you want to work that. We're not one. What can we do? You tell me. Oneness is huge. Oneness is important. So what can we do? So uh, one thing I figured we can do a fish fry. Not Doesn't look like a French fry. A fish fry. Fry a fish. This is something that uh, we learned years ago. And then Pastor Dave actually has a file. So... Uh, he wants to offer that to you for absolutely free. So I'm going to give you the guidelines of what we do. And if you want that file, he will send it to you for free. Or you can ask me and I'll send it to you for free as well. Here's what happens. And this is what we do with every one of our premarital couples that my wife and I meet with together. And we ask them, before you sit down, let's start the session. And we want you to share three things that are affirmations or good things about your spouse. Please don't be general. Like, uh, I love the way you're patient, I love the way you're kind, and I love the way you're generous. Okay, yeah, that, that describes just about everybody in the whole world. And we encourage them, be specific. I love the way when I was sick last Friday that you actually went out of your way because you weren't feeling well either, and you went and got chicken soup just for me. Because you don't like chicken, it makes you sick. So I know you got it just for me, and I really appreciate that. Start out with three affirmations and say, here are some very good things, ways in which you have blessed me. 
And after you've done that, then here's the, hum- the humility necessary part. To then say, listen, as you have been a blessing to me, I want to bless you. What is one thing I can change? What is one thing I can do to make you a better follower of Christ? Or what is one thing I can do? Whatever it is. And then with humility, receive that. Because you know what? Sometimes the other person picks that little wound and opens it wide and you're bleeding all over the place. And to say, you know what? I understand in response what you're saying, and I want to make that a change in my life. I want to bless you. Now, <clears throat> I, I uh, perf- officiated the wedding for my niece, and uh, now uh, my nephew, and now my niece uh, back in October. And they're just absolutely fun premarital counseling because this is what we would do. And uh, we did it through Skype. It's a very interesting way to do uh, premarital counseling, but they're in Arizona, and commuting really just doesn't seem fit to me. So as we did it through Skype, they, we would get, on the, get online and I'd ask them, hey, how you guys doing? And they go, oh, man, we are they're doing great. We're doing awesome. All right, so let's share the three affirmations. They'd share the three affirmations. One of them would start, and then the other one would say, ah, what do you want to change? Let me tell you. Boom, and then it would all explode, and it would be great. And that would be, it would add depth. So for an hour or so, we would deal with heart issues, right? Because where we want them to get to a place is oneness, in Christ. And you can't get there if you start thinking like, hey, our marriage is great. We don't have any real problems, right? And isn't that how we went around church? Everyone thinks, oh, I've, uh, my marriage is good. My marriage is mine's fine. Yours is good. Everything's wonderful. Nobody sits there. How many times do you sit in community group and somebody goes, oh, my marriage is horrible. My spouse is this. We don't share that. And it's not until you start asking for change that some of the reality begins to take place. That's why this frying the fish is so important. But let me tell you something. Here's the big difference. If you can't fry the fish alone, find another chef to help you cook it. This takes a lot of humility too because what you're saying is we're going to come to somebody and say we're struggling in our marriage. We're having a hard time. Can you help us? Can you help us? Every marriage struggles. And to hide that does not help you. The humility to look for that third party and get help is absolutely incredible. I, 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 I used to not enjoy premarital counseling because most of the couples that we had were boring, which is a good thing. You know what I mean? You don't want a couple shouting at each other, you stupid idiot, you moron. If I could, I would. You, know, something, you don't want that. <laughs> you want boring couples. But what I found out about boring couples is that they hide a lot of things. The last few times that we've done it, it's gotten a lot better because now people are actually dealing with issues of the heart rather than the simple fake stuff that we all hide behind thinking that we're all going to be okay. Fry a fish, but have a third party to be there with you because that third party gets to see things that the other person isn't seeing. And sometimes you're going to hear, if I'm doing it, you're going to hear me say, you know what? You're right and they're wrong. And you go, yeah, right? Until I say, no, you're wrong this time. And they're right. That third party is a way to bring mediation to help you see God's perspective. Not just the other person's perspective, but God's perspective on your marriage. Let me finish with this. How do you gauge oneness? Now, oneness is kind of vague, isn't it? If I said, hey, do you feel like you're one? You'd probably say, yeah, yeah, we are. 
Sometimes a spouse will not say anything because they're afraid of the other person. We came across uh, a new premarital counseling curriculum called D.A.R.E. I don't even know what the acronym is, but I just know that it's D.A.R.E. And it's not the drug uh, addiction resistance education thing, but it's, it's something else. And uh, one of the things, one of the questions they have are, do you feel free to be able to tell your spouse when something is wrong? And if you say no, it throws up a red flag because sometimes we're afraid to turn to the other person and say, hey, I wanted to tell you this. You have a problem. You have a fault. Now, when somebody tells you you have a problem and you have a fault, what is our normal response? Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I'm going to change right now. Most of us are, what? What'd you say? I've got something wrong with me? Oh, let me tell you what you got wrong with you because it's worse than what I have wrong with me. And how's the other person going to respond? Oh, wait a minute. I just got started. That's the little thing. Now let me tell you something that's really wrong with you, right? So I say one of the ways in which we get help is to do these things like this dear questionnaire, which again is absolutely free. If you want it, I will send it to you. You can fill it out yourselves. You can not only fill it out, but it automatically gives you the results and tells you strengths and weaknesses in the midst of your marriage. And if you don't want to do that thing, the the, uh, date night Chicago land thing is also something that you can do to say, where is the oneness? Because you know what? Just to say, hey, be one and sends you on your way, you might leave here thinking that you're one, and in heart and mind, you're not really one. An evaluation allows you to see what's really going on. I can tell you right now, I'm healthy. But I might have cancer, I don't know. I have a bad knee from playing basketball. Well, why is it? I don't know why it hurts. It still hurts since October. I can, I can walk. I'm fine. Everything's good. So for the rest of my life, I might be fine. But who knows? Maybe I ripped something and now I'm doing bone on bone. And who knows? A few years from now, I think I'm healthy, but now I'm in knee surgery. Do you know what I'm saying? So just to say be healthy isn't good enough. You have to go to the doctor, run the test, and see what's happening. So if you're sitting B1, evaluate yourselves from an outside objective person and then bring that together with that other person and begin to talk through it. Because oneness, spiritual oneness, that God intended in the garden when he gave Eve to Adam and Adam said, now the two shall become one flesh. The point was, this is important to God. It's not just important to you, but it's important to God because it reveals ultimately who he is. When you can bring two different people together and see them striving to bless one another, spending time together with God and falling in love with each other when you think, wow, they're so different. says a lot about what God can do in people's lives and ultimately in their relationships. Oneness, spiritual oneness in Christ is so important. And it's something that we strive for, the mercy, the grace, the strength of God. Because there's a lot that's on the line. Years ago, somebody said, 
when you hire a youth pastor in your church, don't hire somebody that's not married. Especially like a college student. Because, you know, a lot of times the tendency is, hey, let's get a college student. If we get a college student to be our youth pastor, that's really good because he can relate to the kids. He listens to the music. He watches the movies and all that kind of stuff. And they said the reason that's a mistake is because all you're getting is a more mature high school student who really isn't mature. What kids need today are married couples so that they can see what a godly marriage is like. Because they might not be seeing that at home. Because there's a lot of divorce that's out there. They may be living among two families. There's a lot of fighting that's out there. They may see a lot of things that really they don't get to see unless a couple, one in heart and mind in following Christ, gets together and says, this is what marriage can be like. It is a wonderful thing. Get married. Swim in it, drown in it, love it, embrace it. Let that oneness completely swallow you in Christ. Because there is little, if anything, that is like it. And there's little, if anything, that can really bless God and your family and your friends and your neighbors than a couple that walks together in oneness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you would adopt us as your children to be members of your family when really don't we really don't give you much reason to do such a an extravagant and unconditional loving thing. And Jesus, we thank you that you have chosen us to be your bride. That you have cleansed us the washing of your blood. Brought us out of impurity and into purity. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for the way in which you work in our hearts and minds and make us not only one with each other, but one with each other in Christ. But Father, we confess as much as we have listened or even spoken today, that there are many times which that oneness is broken because of our own selfishness. Wanting what we want and wanting it now. Wanting our way. Wanting what is best for us. We ask that you bring us to a place of deep-seated conviction to see that when we do not seek oneness in Christ, we actually work against you and your purpose. Father, we ask for wisdom to know in what ways we have broken a spirit of oneness in our marriage relationship. Father, there are some marriages here that are teetering on the edge of staying together. Having lost a sense of hope that things will ever not only be better, but even be good. Father, we would ask that your spirit would bring strength, renewed strength, energy to pursue each other with a love that you pursued us with. A never-ending love. 
that seeks to bless. Father, for marriages that are going through an excellent season, Father, bless them over and over and over again and extend this season of mercy and grace and mirth and love. May there be a a deeper and deeper sense of your presence and your pleasure as these marriages continue to walk in your ways. Bear fruit, not only in their marriage, their family, but in their ministry that they have to people around them. And Father, as a church as a whole, bring us to a place where the spirit of unity walks among us. Where people might see that though we are different, we love one another because we love Jesus. And that our love will always be there through the difficult, through the hard, and through the pain. Father, you are one. As Trinity, you are one. And we pray that oneness would mark our church, would mark our marriages, our families, and our relationships here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you'd like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.